0: Second lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. And before we get started, I just want to invite: if anybody needs to take a break or walk around, you're welcome to move into the library during the sermon time. Um, there's a really fantastic uh, activity that's going on in there. Folks need to move their hands or anything like that. Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. Hear the word of the Lord. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and then he went home amazed at what had happened. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, about a month ago, I sat with a group of spiritual pilgrims from many different faith traditions um, as they reflected on their own journey and their own understanding of God. And it was my job in this circle to share the unique perspective of the Christian tradition. And so I shared with this particular group the meaning of the incarnation. Now this story, as we know, is a story that begins the church year for us. We tell this story every year in this sanctuary of God becoming human, of God being born, of being raised, of being clothed in veins and lungs, and with a spleen, and with skin, and hair, and nails, and sweat glands, and all of these things that make up human matter. And the great wonder I shared with this group of folks who were all sitting together reflecting on their own journey with God is that this is the clothing that God chooses to be known in. In fact, the Christian tradition states That this is the way that we get to know God, and in fact, there is no other way. And sometimes when we think about this reality of the incarnation, we don't always make the connection about what it means for us. About what it means for our flesh and blood. That the skin through which we know the world, the way that we touch that which we come into contact with, the way in which our bodies are seated on the pew, the way in which we're brushing up or not brushing up the person against the person next to us, this is the way through which we know the world, and this is also the way that God chooses to make God's self known to us. And because of this reality, because of the incarnation, we hold the hope that every single piece, that every single part, that every single bit of the human experience can be known and can be redeemed and can be healed. And a man hearing this, growing up with this story his whole life, but hearing it as if for the first time, suddenly was shaken and shouted out from the other side of the room Do you mean to say, he said to me, that God suffers with us? Yes, I said. Do you mean to say, he said, that the heart of God, that God actually suffers? Yes, I said, more tenderly. That is the wonder and the glory of the incarnation. It means that the one that we believe that has created the universe, the one that holds and nourishes and sustains the very life that we live, this is the one who has not only suffered, past tense, but suffers, present tense, and will suffer, future tense, alongside of us, and not by accident nor by victimhood, but God actively chooses this way of being. This is the way through which God is known, and this is the way through which we know God, and this is what we mean When we say that he took on flesh and blood for us and for our salvation. You see, friends, from the beginning to the end, the Christian faith refuses to allow us to disassociate from the body. It refuses to allow us to disassociate from the body. Because this day, this resurrection day, This text that we just read, like it or not, is all about the body. The claim of the resurrection is about nothing else than that the body wasn't there. And all the things that we hold dear, all the reasons why we come together today to meet in this room, all the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray and the liturgies that we hold and the creeds that we remember and the practices that we put into place, these are all put into place to remind us of one thing, that the body is sacred and holy and is redeemed. For it is the body that the women went to the tomb to find. And it is the body that was not there. And it is the body, the angel, the messenger reminds us, that has been raised just as he said. And this, I wonder... I wonder if this could be one of the greatest gifts that the Christian tradition has to give to the world. This is the gift that we have to offer. You see, we live in a world that has a deeply fragmented understanding about the body. We live in a world that has a history that tells us that some bodies are better, are in fact worth more, are in fact more human than other bodies. We live in a world that tells us that our bodies need to look a certain way, to be a certain way, to be a predictable pattern. But friends, we also live in a world where the bodies can go wrong, where they can fail us, betray us even. And those who have suffered disease or hardship of the body or mental illness, Or something that a body has done against another body. You know what that's like. You see, we live in a world where others betray us and betray our livelihood and our well-being and our very bodies. And that's why the gift of the resurrection is so important as we think about the future of our world, and as we think about how our faith takes traction within our lives, because the gift of the resurrection, it is that it is the body that has been redeemed. It is the body that has been healed. It is the body that was missing from the tomb, and it is the body that rose just as he did. And from this, everything will follow. Everything will follow. If you look forward into the letters that Paul will write to the churches that start to exist within the first century, he looks back on this day of resurrection and he says, this is the first fruit of that which is to come. And what he's saying is that through this rising of Christ, so the rising of the entire cosmos will happen through the body. Everything, all manner of restoration, all manner of healing, all manner of hope, everything will flow from the resurrection of the body. It's interesting for us as a church... Not just Northminster, but here, the church of the 21st century of the United States, the church around the world, because many of us have lost touch, have lost connection with the body. Many of us have lived in a world where the Christian faith exists within the mind and is all about what we believe and what we proclaim and is not about what actually lives and is experienced and is renewed within our body. But friends, the gift of the resurrection, the thing that we proclaim, is that the healing begins with the body. That's where it starts. Not just the healing for the next world, that's the promise too, but the healing for this one as well. Some of you may have heard of a renowned professor of psych. Psychiatry, psychiatry. Excuse me, at the Boston Medical School, named Vessel Vanderkolk. Has anybody heard of Vessel Vanderkolk? It's okay. I'll tell you about him. He's done lots of interviews. It's okay. He's Dutch. I might need my Dutch friends to come up here and help me pronounce his name. Um, but Dr. Van der Kolk has spent his life researching trauma. And he wrote a book that was recently uh, published uh, just a few years ago. Uh, It's called The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And what he was able to do, he runs a trauma center actually out of Boston. And he's done research his whole life. He's now in his mid-70s. He's done research his whole life about how, how trauma affects the body and how the body needs to be part of the healing of trauma. And his work deals explicitly with the way in which trauma becomes lodged in the body. It actually gets stuck, not just in our minds, it reflects itself in our memories, but it gets stuck in our muscles, it gets stuck in our actual body. And it changes the functions of the body. It actually changes the way in which we have our routine habits, changes the way that we eat, it changes the way that we process our food, The effect of trauma changes every single piece of our organs. It changes our body. And one of the things that he learned, one of the greatest things that he learned in his work with trauma, is that the healthier that we are as human beings, the more that we're able to process our trauma and release it, the more that we are deeply connected to our bodies. And you can actually measure this, he's noticed. So, in fact, our breath heart variation the ways in which our breath is connected to our heart is more aligned in people who have experienced either less trauma number one or b have been able to process their trauma in a way in which helps them to release it because everybody experiences trauma but the body needs to be able to participate in the healing of the trauma. Otherwise, the trauma gets stuck. And this can actually be measured, he's noticed, in the way, by the ways in which our heart connects to our breath. And so one of the outcomes of his research was this understanding that if we are unable to process our trauma, we actually begin to disassociate from our bodies. And so the way of moving forward, and this can become quite disheartening. If one has suffered a great deal of trauma, you know how disheartening this can be. Because it can feel like, so what's wrong with me? Is this ever going to change? Am I ever going to find healing and renewal again? But see, Dr. Vanderkolk has also worked with folks in finding healing. And what he's discovered is that so the trauma impacts the body, it is the body that then needs to participate also in the healing. And he's done this through very many methods, through a method called EMDR, which you can look up later, through another method, through something as simple as yoga that helps to reconnect the body and the mind so that the trauma can be processed and that the body can be healed. One of the greatest insights that he had that helped to illustrate this is that in 1989, when he went to Puerto Rico in the wake of Hurricane Hugo, as a trauma therapist, he was there to offer support and to offer folks healing through this process. And in a recent interview, he reflects on that trip, and he says this, He says, I landed in Puerto Rico and everybody is busy doing things and building things and everybody's way too busy to talk to me because they're just trying to do things. But on that very same plane, I flew in with officials from FEMA who came in and then made this announcement, stop your work until FEMA decides what you're going to get reimbursed for. And he says that as a trauma therapist, that was the worst thing that could have happened, because now, instead of using the energy and the motion to build things, people were using the energy to fight with each other and to pick wars with one another instead of rebuilding their houses, which is the energy that they had to do to begin with. And he says, of course, that's similar to what happens in New Orleans. When people are kept from being agents in their own recovery, they cease to be able to process their trauma. You see, the resurrection of the body is not just an idea. It is a physical reality. Our bodies are necessary for healing. They are the sacred location where God has chosen to act. They are the sacred location where God has chosen to act. The resurrection of the body is God's GPS location. He is not here. Remember what he told you. You see, friends, in the resurrection and healing of the body, we do not just have a distant hope though we do have that as well. But we have a real hope for this time and for this life that the body of God sanctifies our body in all things, even in our death. And the body of God paves the way for our bodies to somehow on the other side of death know new life and be raised again. And this is the wonder and the gift and the beauty and the reality of the resurrection. And it is our hope for today and for always because he is not here just as he told you. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the body and the promise that is held within it. We ask that you would, in fact, heal our bodies. Bring us to deeper understanding of who you are, that we might be able to be a gift to the world. Through your name we pray. Amen.